powered by MPB, this is Chalkboard Chat, an MPB education podcast, hosted by Jermaine Flood and Tara Wren. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. Jermaine Flood with Chalkboard Chat. We have now walked into the Museum of Jimmy Rogers here in Meridian, Mississippi. This is at 1222nd Street. And right on the front door, it says every note of country music that is played, sung, written, thought about throughout this universe today, yesterday, and tomorrow all goes back to one man, Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music. That was written by Marty Stewart. And we're going to go ahead and just delve right in. We're back downtown in Meridian, and this is going to be a beautiful place to learn a little bit more about country music and, of course, the legendary Jimmy Rogers. Here we go. Hey there, I'm Jermaine Flood with Chalkboard Chat Podcast. It's nice to meet you. Hi, welcome Jermaine. So excited to have you here with us today. I'm Leslie Lee, the Executive Director of the Jimmy Rogers Foundation and Museum. Good thing. So I'm ready to look around. Let's just go ahead and delve right into this beautiful museum. One thing, I just love the whole history of this building and the way it feels and smells. So I'm I'm super excited about learning more about Jimmy Rogers. Come on, this house is gorgeous. If you're ever around, it was built in 1905. So if your listeners can kind of get an idea, and it's called the Hollybrook House. Um, so in 1905, Jimmy Rogers was going about Meridian. So we don't know if he came here or not, but let's, <laughs> let's hope he did. But come on and we'll learn out some more. All right, thanks. Well, we're going right into our main room. And again, the house is gorgeous. We just moved into this and had our ribbon cutting. So this is kind of our new home, new digs, and it feels like we've been here forever. But when you walk in, you see all of Jimmy Rogers' personal effects. And I like to ask my guest, what do you know about Jimmy Rogers? So most people know Jimmy Rogers as the father of country music. However, in my opinion, he was really pigeonholed into that. So the term country music wasn't coined until about 1942. Jimmy died in 1933. So he really got kind of stuck in a box. But I like to call him the father of all music because without him, we wouldn't have Elvis. I mean, and you'll learn more of that as we go through. But Jimmy Rogers, yes, father of country music. He was in the Country Music Hall of Fame, one of the first. In this room, the biggest thing that everybody wants to see is the guitar. All right, so that is Jimmy Rogers' guitar that he used, and it is the most valuable guitar in the world. At last estimate, it was estimated at over $2 million. And when he passed away, his wife Carrie loaned it to Ernest Tubbs. Mm -hmm. He used it for about 35, 40 years around there, and then gave it back to the family, and that's how we have it today. But everybody comes in to see that Martin guitar that's displayed right there. And it's really neat. And then you just get an idea of his stature with the different suits and and his boots and his beautiful case here that was embroidered or handmade for him. And so it's, it's just really neat. Jimmy Rogers, he prided himself on always being tucked in and and always being, you know, very kind of, very stylish, really, for that era. I like to think of him as the first what we consider a celebrity, the first rock star. You know, he had the finest clothes, the finest cars, and when we get into the next room, you'll see some of his cars that you didn't see a lot around there. I mean, he died in 1933, so keep that in mind as we look at some of these really, really cool personal effects that he had. 
So with Jimmy Rogers, he grew up here in Meridian. He was born in Meridian, and his father was in the railroad business. So that means that he was in the railroad business too. <laughs> um, so his family, you know, it was, the living on the railroad was a pretty hard lifestyle back then. He lost his mother just because they lived in camps. They lived in the railroad camps. So he lost his mother when he was about four or five years old, most likely from tuberculosis from the railroad camps. So when she passed away, he moved around a little bit lived with his aunts, but then came back to Meridian. His father had remarried. So Jimmy Rogers, being on the railroad and his father working, he had to work. So at about seven years old, if you can imagine, he started being a water boy on the railroad. Um, now, the water boy position was predominantly reserved for the African-American children. However, he just grew up with that and just jumped right in. And so when I say he's a father of all music, over a third of his songs are blues songs. That influence from working at that age and with the African-American railroad community that really changed his music. So it's really neat how that legacy got in there. So when he was about 14, though, that's when he dropped out of school and went to work full-time, like, as an actual employee for the railroad. So he left every now and then. He was a showman. So he went to vaudeville about two or three times, but his dad always yanked him back and said, son, you're going to work on the railroad. <laughs> so he worked on the railroad until... He was about 27 or 28. Sometime in that time, he developed tuberculosis, and he could no longer work. So that's when he stopped and went music full-time. And so it's really those last six years of his life is what you're going to see in this museum. That's all of the music that we have was 111 songs the last six years of his life. Wow. So I'm going to take you around and show you a little bit of that. All right. Wow. All wow. right. That sounds great. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about the the furniture that I see in this room? Yeah. So a lot of this came out of his house. Now, when he hit the big time, like I said, he was our first rock star, our first celebrity. So he built a big mansion. Mm -hmm. And that mansion was in Texas, in Kerrville, Texas. And he built it the last 18 months of his life. So a lot of the furniture, the fancy furniture you see, came out of his home. Yes. Wow. Now, but you'll see some more furniture back here that is a chair that he built for his wife, you know? I mean, so you'll see the beginnings, and I love to see his timeline. You'll see from the railroad, the more modest, to the more elaborate furniture. So tell me a little bit about the piano. That is a baby grand piano. That also came out of the mansion. And we have two pianos in here. And then there's this one over here that came out of Elsie McWilliams' home. And we're about to get into her because she's a very cool lady and one of my favorites, part of the museum. So this is Elsie's room, and what I love being in this house in our new museum, Elsie has her own room, finally. So this is kind of my heart of the museum. Elsie McWilliams, she was his sister-in-law. His wife, Carrie, she was married to Carrie's brother, all right? And Elsie, she played music for the church, and that was it. Um, but being in the family of Jimmy Rogers and he knowing that she played guitar and wrote music, he wanted her to help and to write some songs. And she said, no, I only write for the church. And, you know, when you listen to the music of Jimmy Rogers, I think one of the big parts of why he became so popular and why he was so popular, not that he was one of the first recording artists, I mean, all of that to the side, but he wrote about real world. 
real life that was going on in that time. So he wrote, you know, in the jailhouse now, you know, the TB blues, a song about tuberculosis, you know, (laughs) he wrote about gambling, he wrote about drinking. And so it was all in his music. That was not Miss Elsie. So she actually wrote, well, she's pinned for writing about 28, 29 songs of his, but she really did more like 40. She just didn't put her name on the ones that she didn't want to put her name on. (laughs) Again, a good Southern lady. But um, she was very, very cool. She also was from Meridian, lived right up the street in Poplar Springs Drive in a big blue house. Every Friday night, people would come over for picking. Elvis frequented her house. I mean, if you were anybody that played guitar, you were at Elsie's house. Yes. And now that, she is in the Country Music Hall of Fame. She is in the National Songwriters Hall of Fame, and that is her dress that she wore to accept her award at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And let me tell you, it has the little Sears tag on the back. She left the tag on. No, you know, well, she got it at Sears, and so it's there. <laughs> but it's a beautiful dress for the time, and I just, I just love it. I think it's so sweet, and that was her guitar. There's her National Songwriters Award right there. But this is more of her personal effects. She played music until she was about 87 years old, playing concerts. I mean, you see the pictures of her. She got right out there and did it. So she was, I just think she was a very, very cool lady. This is a beautiful room with beautiful, like, displays of everything. And it's so authentic that it's actually what they wore. Yeah. It's actually the, their guitars. Well, look at this. This is cool. This was her wallet that she used until the day she died. It has her library card, her senior citizen's card in it. You know, I mean, she was this huge person in music, but she just walked around town here every day. So as we go through here, um, those are the cars, some of the pictures of the cars, and that's Jimmy with all of his cars that he had. And again, you think of the time period. He was pretty flashy, you know? He always... Like I said, wore the greatest suits. And back to the railroad that he grew up on, you know, he's known as the singing brakeman. That's kind of his nickname. He has a couple of them, but that's a big one. And the brakemen were always the first that you saw. And he got that position because he was always tucked in, pressed and folded. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in a lot of the pictures. So he took great pride in how he looked and, and, and what he had. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful yeah. stuff. And in such a beautiful place, it really does make you feel like maybe he was here. I know. <laughs> we like to say he lived upstairs or maybe his ghost is in this house now. We love it, right? <laughs> that will get us extra tours. Right, right. <laughs> um, now, looking over here, these are some of his awards, some of his song certificates. And I'll say this for some of your music fans out there. Like, that's the T for Texas music certificate. T for Texas... This is how his legacy and the reach that he had. Leonard Skinner, band in the 70s and 80s, right? One of their number one hits was T for Texas. That was a Jimmy Rogers song. So people don't really realize how much influence he had. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it still reaches. People today are doing Jimmy Rogers songs. They did a whole tribute album Bob Dylan did in the late 90s. So it's it's really neat. Sturgill Simpson just did a Jimmy Rogers song. So, I mean, every day, just throughout time, the influence and legacy that he has. These are some of his band's musical instruments. This slide guitar, it's not a slide guitar that you'd sit on your lap. It's about 40 pounds. It's the real deal. But mandolin from one of his bandmates, Billy Burke, who played with him and always. Just some more personal effects of him on the railroad. 
So he developed tuberculosis, right? So eventually that was how he died, and he knew he was dying. So he wanted to make sure that his wife and his child were taken care of. And so the last few days of his life, he went to New York to finish recording some songs just to set up the family because he wasn't going to be there and he knew it. And if you think of just how tragic that was, so the last three days of recording, he had to lay down on a cot in between songs. And you think of tuberculosis, what that does to the body. So he's literally coughing blood during those last recordings, but he got it done. He got those albums out or records out and that was his story. He died in the Taft Hotel. We have a little bit of the effects from the Taft. The Taft was in New York at the time. Okay, so the room that we're in now. Mm -hmm. This is more of what was in that mansion. So this is later in his life. This came out of the Texas mansion and it was around 1930. So this is the furniture and at the time, I mean, this was the best that you could get, right. and it's absolutely gorgeous. So this is just what we put in this room. Also in this room, we have, these are his awards, Country Music Hall of Fame Award, the Blues Awards, National Songwriters, Bluegrass Award, they're all, they're all like displayed right there. Right. So that was the first thing. I said, oh my gosh, I got to touch a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, the, the little guy. So it's very cool. And he was a Shriner. A lot of people didn't know that. His father was a Shriner, and again, that was an honor that he carried, and it was very important to him in his life. He did a lot with the Shriners, and you'll see we have some of their hats and everything, and then those are his certificates there that he got from it. But I want to take you a minute back over here, uh -huh. because these two gentlemen, we have pictures all up on the wall, beautiful oil paintings that people have done for us, but these two gentlemen, Hank Snow and Ernest Hub, if you're a country fan, you've heard of them a lot, okay. <laughs> and they started the Jimmy Rogers festival and it was a memorial festival started in 1953 and that was kind of what kicked everything off here in Meridian so it was 20 years after his death but every country legend every country great who's ever considered a country legend has played this festival I mean you name it Dolly Parton Merle, Hart, Merle Haggard Willie Nelson Conway Twitty they all have been there Loretta Lynn I mean they all have Patsy Cline Elvis matter of fact Elvis entered the talent competition in 1953 and came back to headline in 1954. So, <laughs> and at that point, Ernest Hub got mad and said he will never follow Elvis Presley again <laughs> on, you know, on the stage. So, yes. <laughs> so, um, the honor of that festival is that here in Meridian, Mississippi, we are the oldest music festival in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, so that's our honor with the festival. It's still going. Hey. It's, it hasn't missed. So it's every year in May, second weekend. So have all your listeners check out our website. You can subscribe and see what's going to be happening at the festival. And it's a week-long festival. Back when they, in the heyday of the festival, downtown Meridian would have 50,000 people. We don't have 50,000 people in the city or in the county, but they all came here for this, mm -hmm. and they came from all over the world. So as we go on, I don't know if you can see, I've got a couple records mm -hmm. over there, but those records are from England, Australia. They're Jimmy Rogers albums that were put out all over the world. But people in Australia, and I just had a visitor the other day that told me her best friend lives in Australia because they met at the Jimmy Rogers Festival years and years ago. So they would take about two weeks off, start here, and then go up to Nashville. Right. Uh-huh. So they, the they plan their vacations. Yeah. So we've had people from all over the world. And that's really, again, that reach and legacy of him as an artist. Uh -huh. You know, we passed a picture over there of Louis Armstrong and his wife, Lil. And you, what, what are they doing in the Jimmy Rogers Museum? Well, Jimmy Rogers was really one of the first integrationists in music. They played on the Blue Yodel Number no. 9 
album. Sure did. No clue. And that was one of his most famous songs, too. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It's very, very cool. This is cool. (laughs) This is too cool. I love the history of it. Yeah. So we've got one more room, and it's my favorite one, but we're going to walk over here. You ready? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, now we are in this room in the big old house was called the garden room. It's a beautiful room, lots of sunlight that we have to keep out to, you know, so everything stays. But this is my favorite part of the entire museum, other than Miss Elsie's room. These are letters that were handwritten from Jimmy Rogers to his family. You can see the dates. That one's, you know, September 21st of 1928. Here's 1930. And you can see it follows the timeline of him starting on the railroad, stationary, and then moving up to the fancy hotel stationary. And I just love the way that he wrote. A lot of these are to his father, his little brothers and sisters. And he wrote to his sister a lot. And just the way, the endearing, you know, like this one, you know, tell the folks howdy for me and you be good to our old daddy and see that everybody else is good to him. You hear, and he underlined, you hear, because he is the dearest and only daddy we will ever have. Well, good night. Tell Dad, yes, I pray for him and all of you. Love to all, your brother, Jimmy Rogers. Aww. I mean, isn't that just sweet? This is great stuff The correspondence. Here. I absolutely love it. Just my job as, you know, working the museum is to preserve this history right mm-hmm. here because this is, this is him. This mm-hmm. is, he's telling about what's going on, when he'll be back home, and it's all handwritten. So it's really my favorite in the museum. Right. The picture of the little girl that's sitting up there, who is that? That's his daughter. Oh, Mm -hmm. she looks just like him (laughs) on the photos. She does. She does. That's his daughter, Anita. Now, he had three children, but she's the only surviving daughter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was married one time, um, and it was only for three years. But they did have a daughter, Stella. That's that beautiful girl with the eyes over there. But she didn't. She didn't make it, you know, very long. (laughs) And so um, Anita carried on the legacy and the family that oversees and, you know, the foundation, um, that's through her family. Yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. This is great stuff. Yeah. I love this museum. I'm just amazed at everything that's in here. How you were able to keep the original Mm -hmm. items intact and beautiful is great. And to see letters that were way well before my time mm-hmm. written by somebody I mean going through the, what he went through right right you know it's just a it's a well, beautiful thing they didn't have tv ipads phones and so they wrote letters to each other and that's you know every night he probably wrote a letter saying where he was uh now in Elsie's room I have a letter lit, written from his Carrie, Jimmy's wife, and she's talking about how they were in Miami and all of the exotic fruits they got to eat. And, you know, that's really neat just to see in that history and that time. So that's why this is my favorite part of the museum, too. Right. Now, Mm -hmm. when it comes to you, Uh how much Jimmy Rogers is playing in your car on a daily basis? (laughs) Well, I do play a lot of Jimmy Rogers, but... um, I play uh, all blends, all blends of music. But yeah, I love the timeline with the Carter family, you know, because that's how Jimmy became famous and got out everywhere is Ralph Peer, mm-hmm. who did those first Bristol recordings with the Carter family and Jimmy. I had a friend named Ramblin' Bob who used to steal, gamble, and rob. He thought he was the smartest guy in town. But I found out last Monday that Bob got locked up Sunday. They've got him in. Right now we have in 
a representative for the Mississippi Country Music Trail, Mr. Marty Gamblin. He's the Mississippi Country Music Trail Commissioner with the Marty Stewart Congress of Country Music. And if you don't know about the Mississippi Country Music Trail, you need to ride that Mississippi Country Music Trail to discover the state's contributions to country music. They are boundless and not confined to a region or defined by a single style or technique. Now, if you know the Magnolia State for Delta Blues, you'll be amazed to meet its multi-talented first cousin. You can call it hillbilly, honky-tonk, neo-traditional, or whatever you choose, but country music has deep roots and continues to thrive in Mississippi and in with me to talk about that. Mr. Marty Gamblin, welcome to Chalkboard Chat. Well, thank you. I'm just so proud to be here, Jermaine. Thank you a lot. I'm so proud to have you here because country music, of course, is is literally the the top music genre in the state right there beside blues. And so I wanted to be able to showcase both genres in such a positive light because basically that's our thread here for the state. So I wanted to just jump into you. And aside from what you do for the music trail as commissioner, I want to know your personal history and passion for country music because I already know this has been something you probably came up from as a little boy so you've got to tell me your story and maybe some <laughs> of the favorite artists that you have oh gosh uh, well you know I, I, I guess like a lot of people I started out my, my dad and I would listen to the Grand Ole Opry because when I grew up we didn't have television we would listen to the Opry and uh, I, I got into the country music and then I started attending the Jimmy Rogers Festival in Meridian. Uh, actually went to the first one on May 26, uh, 1953. Well, they would have people come in and, you know, uh, bring in. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a picture I was showing somebody of uh, an old autograph book I had. Cause I guess the first one I went to, I was born in 44, so I was nine years old in 53. And right. uh I've got autographs of Hank Snow, Hank Lachlan, Ernest Tubb, and all of these old country legends, you know. And uh, so they would all come perform there in Meridian and uh, uh, at the stadium. And then they would go also at the Temple Theater. And, uh, you know, they'd have like 10,000 people in the stadium there. And that, that wet the palate. And then uh, I, as I got older and kind of followed, uh, you know, started getting television. Then I started watching some of these, the programs on television and, and, you know, and would just fell in love with a lot of the artists. And uh, and, and the thing I always, you know, I, I always said I was, I'm probably kind of a uh, chameleon because I was also a blues fan too. And like you said, there was such a connection between uh, what Jimmy Rogers did, bringing uh, Louis Armstrong in on his music, and then going into uh, to the blues, and uh, there was a real camaraderie there. That if you just loved great music, you couldn't go wrong with either one. And uh, so I, I kind of been a been a country guy. I went on down the country trail for a while, and uh, and ended up getting into the music business in Nashville and Los Angeles, and been almost uh, 40-something years doing that. And, and you know, it's, it's been such an interesting journey because, you know, you hear people today say, oh, gosh, I don't like country music now. I wish they'd go back to what they did. 
And I said, what I started doing in country music professionally was not what Jimmy Rogers did, but had it not been for Jimmy Rogers, I wouldn't have had a job, nor would the um, the artists that I work with, like, uh, you know, Alan Jackson, uh, Glenn Campbell, um, and, uh, of course, there's, uh, you know, all the Mississippi greats, uh, and I... Uh, I just had a, it, it was just an infectious kind of thing that just seems to fester more and more as you, as you went to concerts and you watched it on television. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your position at the Marty Stewart Congress of Country Music as the Mississippi Country Music Trail Commissioner. What does your position entail there? And to be honest with you, you know, the first country uh, music trail was done back in uh, 2010. And I was actually asked to be on that commission, uh, on the committee. So I, I kind of got my feet wet right, right from the get-go. Um, I think the first meeting we, we had, we did, a, I believe it was 30 members uh, that we inducted. And uh, so then uh, it just kind of, you know, kind of went away with all the, the growth and things that were going on. And uh, so uh, Marty kind of, uh, resurrected it here a few years back and um, so they asked me to be on it and I'm you know I've, I've always been a if I'm going to get into something and especially a hall of fame or, or any kind of a acknowledgement of somebody where there's a lot of people that are deserving I always tend to go above and beyond the call of duty to to make sure that I'm trying to be as accurately uh, as possible. And of course, when you've got as much talent as the state of Mississippi has put out, there's absolutely no way that you're not going to eliminate or miss somebody when you set a certain number. Uh, But the good thing about it is you can continue as you grow, you can incorporate those people into the, to the system. So, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is a journey through country music history to follow the country trail markers throughout the state of Mississippi. Now, as it relates to the um, Marty Stewart Congress of Country Music, what is that? Tell me about that. Well, you know, uh, Marty has always been a not only a country music artist for a number of years, but he's just been a uh, almost like an encyclopedia for country music and in a, in a music in general, but particularly country he studies it so much and uh i sat with him at a charlie pride thing and he was so focused on on the story of charlie pride uh i think you could have slapped him upside the head and he wouldn't he wouldn't wouldn't have acknowledged it because he he literally just gets into the and, you know, he becomes another, uh, it's almost like a sponge sitting there soaking up stuff. And um, so he really got, to, you know, he starts seeing all these uh, these tributes to other genres of music. And, and he was in country and he was out there watching these country artists. As one of them may throw a tie in the garbage and he'd say, hey, I want that if you're not going to do anything with it. So he just started collecting, and uh, now he has what is recognized as uh, probably the world's largest independent country music collection that there is. And wow. um, so that's what 
he had that in Nashville for years uh, in, in stores, and he would, you know, he would exhibit it, move it to different parts of the um, of the country. But he finally decided um, that he wanted to bring it home, so uh, they did a warehouse here. He moved everything here, and then uh, they're renovating the the Ellis Theater, which was built back in the twenties. And that's going to be a performance hall where people can actually, you know, they'll bring different artists in or, or people that are aspiring artists to have an opportunity to perform or, or schools, churches, whatever uh, groups can get up and perform. Uh, then uh, the other phase of it is going to be his actual exhibit, uh, which will be uh you know, like I said, it, it's uh, just, an, I mean, you can see Johnny Cash's first black suit, the boots that Patsy Cline had on when she was in her plane crash that uh, that killed her. And I mean, it's, he's got guitars, uh, instruments and, and clothing uh, from everybody uh, going back to the, the very first, he's got Jimmy Rogers stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's such a tie-in, I think, with the Jimmy Rogers uh, you know, being right down the road in Meridian uh, from Philadelphia, where Marty's and I are from. Uh, so uh, it, it's just, I, I think it's really going to be a neat concept and uh, something that everybody should be extremely excited about. I love all of this, especially when it comes down to the history of it. And for my listeners who don't know about Marty Stewart, Again, Marty Stewart is a country music artist um, here in Mississippi, but Marty was like, like Mr. Gamblin was just saying, he was a member of Johnny Cash's band, so he literally came up with everybody else, <laughs> and then he's a yeah. five-time Grammy winner, and so I would love this, so the Congress, the actual Marty Stewart um, Congress of Country Music, you can visit this somewhat like a museum. Yes, uh, and it and it's going to have so many more uh, components. So it's going to have uh, uh, educational things that that uh, you know that students can be involved in in the in the local schools or the surrounding schools. Uh, it's going to have a um, a rooftop uh, place that you can sit and people can talk and and you know have. Uh, drinks and and talk about country music and um and it's it's just gonna gonna show films i mean it it's really just gonna be an experience uh, uh of how the country music industry began and where it's you know where it is now and where it's headed uh and you know he uh, marty was featured in ken burns special that he did couple of years ago on country music and uh right. it was just fantastic um i think it was six something like 16 hours of, and uh, of course anybody that knows anything about ken burns any any kind of documentary he does is the epitome uh i mean he is the classic uh documentarian i guess you could say so i want to go ahead and just jump into the country music trail now Marty Stewart, he has a marker on that trail. And of course, Jimmy Rogers, two of the people that we've definitely talked about, have markers on that trail. But this trail 
not only is in the state, but we also have maybe a marker outside of the state as well in Tennessee. And so there's different regions that it's broken down into the Delta, the hills, the pines, the river um, capital and the coast. But tell me about this trail and just how much fun somebody could have going on this trail and experiencing these stops on the way. Uh, like I said, it, it is literally a, a journey through country music, uh, depending on where you get on the trail, because, uh, you know, I I know uh, guy, when I worked uh, with Glenn Campbell, uh, Carl Jackson, who is from Louisville, uh, Carl has a marker, and uh, of course, Marty, and, uh, and, and I mean, you can go from here to the coast, or... Uh, to the Delta, to, to the Northern Hills, as you said, uh, and there are trail markers everywhere. And, uh, and again, it's just starting. And there's so many people. I'm, I looked over a list before you call me, just the people uh, that, you know, are con uh, potential candidates. And it's absolutely amazing. Um, and it's almost uh, as somebody told me one time, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to uh, arts and entertainment in the state of Mississippi. And you look at this country music list and you look at the ones that are on the trail and that's, you know, the who's who. Then you look at the ones that are candidates for the trail and it's like if they were in any other state, they'd be on markers. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really something that that you take great pride in, and, mm -hmm. and the thing about it that I love is the fact that tourists love going to those. Uh, you know, they'll they'll come, and I know that from the Blues Trail because I know, you know, people that get on Highway 60 where they're flying to Memphis, get on Highway 61, and go all the way down it, stopping at all the blues markers, and uh, and, and so the country markers are going to be something that's going to attract. Uh, you know, a different audience in some ways, and it's going to be the same audience in a lot of ways because there are a number of people that absolutely love getting out and going and visiting those markers. And, uh, and quite honestly, you know, I've said I've been in this business 40 years and I rode around and read some of them and I found out things about people I never knew. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's certainly well done and, uh, and it's something to be real proud of. And I love the fact that Mississippi has its own kind of mark, right? Especially when it comes down to country music with this Mississippi Country Music Trail and even the blues music trail, the Mississippi Blues Trail here in Mississippi. And what I really do enjoy the most about both of these trails is it, it brings together our very essence of who we are here in Mississippi. Now, of course, it's no, no kind of question, no kind of hiding it. You know, country music has always been predominantly white and blues music has always been predominantly black. But like you were talking right. about, you know, country music artists were bringing on blues music artists and blues music musicians were listening to country musicians and both of them were getting inspired by each other. And it's like, this is actually the fabric that kind of intertwines us all is this whole basis of our music here in the state when it comes down to country music and when it comes down to blues music. So 
just a beautiful, beautiful story that you have from your years in the whole country music business. And even you being a whole blues artist before, <laughs> before that, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just love it all. And I love the fact that this is how we are representing ourselves and what people come to the state to look for, Mr. Gamblin. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of that, but last night I was sitting there and my dear friend from years ago, Dorothy Moore, called me and Dorothy said, what are you doing? And, you know, uh, I worked with Dorothy when she was with the Poppies back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and, and, you know, they were a, kind of a Supremes kind of an act, an R&B act. And uh, so... Uh, you know, it, and she loves some of the same writers and the same songs, and um, and it's amazing that there's there is a real respect between country and and R and B, and I mean all the artists I think really have a a genuine respect for each other and uh, songwriters, and you know, forever most people thought people singing the songs wrote them until they started honoring songwriters and they thought my gosh that's a talent of its own almost Mm -hmm. so um it's really good and and then you know we got the writer's market uh, um marker uh which is even one more thing that uh, mississippi has that it can be proud of is is the fabulous uh writers that have come out of this this state so um we got a lot to show and a lot to tell the people about and a lot of things to get visitors in here to spend their money right (laughs) i love that (laughs) and you are definitely the one to heed all of this this whole thing off i'm i'm just so ecstatic that you are the one that i was able to talk to um you came highly recommended and you did not disappoint mr gamblin and i just (laughs) (laughs) i thank you so much (laughs) well it's it's been my pleasure, and uh, I hope to see you on a trail marker soon. Right. Now, to my audience, if you want more information about the Mississippi Country Music Trail, visit mscountrymusictrail.org. They are also on social media. You can visit them on Facebook and Twitter. That's the Mississippi Country Music Trail. Now, what you will see is going to be giants of country music now. This is for people who were born here. Um, These are from people who maybe came through here, but for every Jimmy Rogers, Tammy Wynette, Conway Twitty, and Elvis Presley, there's another Mississippian whose talent surpassed stereotypes to greatly expand country music and its fan base. And now from Charlie Pride to the most successful African-American artist in the genre to Mississippi girl Faith Hill, a huge pop crossover star into the many others whose name are less known. Mississippians have made their mark on country music and the Country Music Trail commemorates their many varied contributions and influences as well as the places that cradled their creativity and those places are right here in the state of Mississippi. Also, let me get this out the way before I let my new friend, Mr. Gamblin, go. This, me and him are besties now, but also, if you want some more information about the um, Marty Stewart's Congress of Country Music to be coming to Philadelphia, Mississippi, 
go online to congressofcountrymusic.org and you can get some more information about that. But I would love to thank our guest, Mr. Marty Gamblin, the Mississippi Country Music Trail Commissioner with the Marty Stewart Congress of Country Music for joining us here on the chat and giving us a beautiful history lesson about country music and the Mississippi Country Music Trail. Thank you, Mr. Gamblin, for joining us here. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. This has been Chalkboard Chat. Class is now dismissed. You've been listening to Chalkboard Chat an MPB education podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB public media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This podcast is hosted with love by ACAST.